Hey, we're just about to jump into the episode, but before we do, did you know we have a junior-friendly Discord community? It's completely free to join. If you want to join us, the link is in the description. We'd love to have you. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another podcast episode where we help aspiring developers get jobs and junior developers grow. Today, we're actually going to be doing a coding bootcamp review of Thankful. So I invited three graduates on, and uh, Gage, Alex, Anthony... Thank you so much for coming. Um, let's jump right into the intros. Gage, you want to give a little intro about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I was, um, I didn't come from a particularly tech savvy background. Like the most I really delved into was like building a computer. And if you haven't done that before, it's pretty much like putting together a Lego set even easier because you can't really put things in the wrong spot. They just plug into the only the right spot. I'm going to disagree um, with you there. for the for the most part i mean that that's pretty much the extent of my technical background so i I never delved into code at all um but i wanted a more lucrative degree or career that um was also much more mentally stimulating than what i was at beforehand Um, i was in the audio industry and i had worked to like the manager of one of the local shops and then i got an even more lucrative position at a warehouse managing their audio distribution side but it was super mundane i already knew pretty much everything i needed to know to actually do my job and then nothing else was really needed so every day was the same i never had to learn anything it just wasn't mentally stimulating whatsoever um so that's kind of when I started looking into something that I know I would be happy with doing. And I also know it would be both lucrative and mentally stimulating. So I started looking at the, at coding boot camps and thankful in particular caught my eye pretty much because of their stipend program. If I didn't have the ability to go to a boot camp that offered a stipend program, then I probably would not have actually been able to afford to go in the first place. What is their stipend um, program? Their stipend program is essentially, as long as it's the same as when I went, which is only like, I graduated in May, so it's probably exactly the same. Um, they essentially pay you 1500 bucks a month to go to the boot camp full time. And then that becomes part of what you pay back in the end and even more. I think it was only like... Uh, I can't remember. Don't quote me on the number without the stipend. I think it was about 16 grand for the full stack immersion. Um, Since I went with the stipend program, I have to pay 40,000. So it's a big chunk of change, but Jesus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a whole lot of money, but I, to be honest, would not have had the chance to go without it. So if I have to get, if I have to get hit hard for going and that's the only way I can go, so be it. Okay. All right. I have cool. one quick question on that though. Are they making yeah. me repay it right now? No, not until I hit 40,000. Okay. Okay. And, and I'm in the field. So you, you have to earn at least 40,000, then they're going to make you pay yep. it back. Okay. Yeah. I have to be earning 40,000 a year and be in the field and then I'll have to start paying it back, which is 15% of my income. That's how they pay it back is they just kind of, deduct 15% of my income and still it paid until it's paid back. 
Okay. That sounds a little bit more lenient than some other coding boot camps we reviewed. Uh, yeah, the number 40,000 is, is kind of a scary number. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know too bad. Bad. I was expecting like 20 or like 25. Yeah, but if you compare it to like a standard degree, it doesn't sound too bad then. If you yeah. went to a traditional four-year school, all that. That's Let's true. see. I was doing, it was for five months, 1500 bucks a month, which is rolled into the 40,000 would be $7,500 of that is the stipend. So whatever okay. is left is like whatever extra they charge for doing the stipend. But yeah, 7,500 of that is me paying that back. See, I, I just have a big issue. Uh, I asked you if you're over 18 because I, I can't bring on anyone less than that. And it's a whole pain mm-hmm. to get them to sign the guest release form and everything. But um, I don't know how old you are, but I don't believe in giving out loans that early to people. I think people are generally, they they aren't responsible with finances like they should be to take out the mm-hmm. massive amount of loans they take out. So when you were talking about that amount of money that was given to you that you could do anything with, am I like, you seem like a reasonable person, but I can see some people um, not really using, putting that money to where it should be or storing it away if they can, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I've just met some people going to a coding boot camp that are, pretty young that are going to buy a new computer because they need that for a development setup or like I, yeah, I hope that they, um, I don't know. That's my only fear when I hear something like that, but for sure, like you said, you can't, you couldn't have gotten that opportunity without that stipend either. So exactly. give someone like yeah. you that probably is responsible that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to clarify, um, like they didn't give me like a loan of 40,000, um, it was, I'm paying them 40,000, but the only thing they gave me was the $1,500 per month on the month, um, which was just enough to really cover my bills and, and then have like a couple hundred dollars to, you know, if things happen or whatever. But, um, I, I agree. Like if, <laughs> if I just got a bulk, a bulk sum of 40,000, even being like 25, that, that I probably would have been a little bit frivolous with it. <laughs> yeah. I know I would have. Maybe I'm just thinking about myself and I'm projecting, but I think <laughs> anyone would have lump sum of 40 grand would spend a little bit on their self, <laughs> yeah, so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh Alex, uh let's do a quick intro for you. Yeah, so um I started a little bit in the web design area back in high school actually. Um and then I went to Northern Illinois for a year and I was going to do their computer science program. Ended up failing out after the first year because I didn't know any JavaScript, no, and I was learning C++ at the time. And everything was just going over my head. So um, long story short, dropped out, went to massage therapy school. And then just last year, I quit my job, went to Thinkful. Um, The main reason I actually chose Thinkful was because it was online. I lived in Madison, Wisconsin for about four or five years. And... Up there, there is no in-person boot camps. And the closest one was at Milwaukee that started at 7 in the morning oh. and would go till 6 o'clock at night. So I, I'm not doing 5 a.m. wake-ups or anything. Plus, I have a dog, and dogs are little furry children that need attention every 10 minutes. So it traditional class schedule at home just wouldn't have really worked out for me. So that's what attracted me to Thinkful was at your own pace. As long as you meet your deadline, you really have no issue to worry about 
Um, and so graduated back in April, um, still looking for that job, like I said. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it actually. Okay. Did, did you take the full time or the part time? I did the full time. I I think it was at when I signed up, it was like full stack flex immersion, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Same thing here. Yeah. I took a little bit longer to graduate just because my first capstone project, I went way over my head and messed up half my back end and I had to rewrite it. And I ended up taking about a month and a half to do the whole thing. So it set my deadlines back, but, um, yeah, it wasn't too bad though. It was about seven months for me to graduate, I think. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, can you actually move your mic just a little bit closer to your mouth? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Anthony, you're up. All right. So my name is Anthony. I live in Seattle, Washington. Uh, my background is pretty similar to Gage, um, but I first got introduced into coding with um, doing like Xbox exploits with like JTAGs and uh, that uh, that kind of sorts, um, creating like uh, tools and stuff as a kid. Um, and then I got into web development whenever I was in college where I was introduced to like JavaScript and HTML and CSS where I didn't really learn that much, to be honest. So I started looking into like boot camps to get more like hands-on experience. And so I found Thinkful and um, I decided to do their full-time um, like engineering immersion program. And I did that from October till March. And then I found a position at Stone in Washington, where I worked as a front-end software engineer for like a Microsoft uh, vendor team. And then I got laid off from that position um, due to like Microsoft's budget cuts and their quarterly quotas or whatever. Um, and then I recently just got hired at a small design team in Seattle. Congratulations for the new position. Thank you. I have a Thank old you. high school friend that'd be pissed at you for the Xbox experts, <laughs> but so, <laughs> I do have a previous guest that had the same background. Like that's how he dove into it. Um, yeah. Fun. Yeah. That's cool. All right, cool. Well, it's good to have all of you on. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in. I'm definitely excited to hear more about the coding bootcamp. So why don't we talk, let, let's dive into the curriculum. What do you guys think of the curriculum? Of this the curriculum. Be, go ahead. Um, had its, had its dated parts, but for the most part was up to date. Um, I think like during my react section, they didn't introduce react hooks at all. And that's a big part of it now. Um, and there were some parts that were like mega crunch time, like very discouraging, super fire hose of information. You're just trying to do your best to keep up. But for the most part, I think it was it, it was doable, but intense, very intense. I think only six people of my original 25 graduated. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you you guys both were in full time as well. And it sounds, yeah. with, sounds like from that, that you guys did not have the same low graduation rate. <laughs> uh, I don't I think, know, actually. 
think only like five or eight people dropped out of my cohort and like switched to either flex or just dropped out of the program entirely. Why? Yeah, that's okay. Why so many people? So many people from the, from the start or so many people dropped out. So many people dropped out. The, I think it, they had a hard time really, really pinning down for other people or like really getting the message across how intense this was about to be. Like this is a 60 hour per week boot camp for the most part. That's sort of about what mm -hmm. I spent on it. And mm -hmm. there were a lot of people that I think didn't really get that or didn't understand it when they, when they dove into it and were like, dude, <laughs> this is just way too much for me. And then they probably like a lot of them, probably in the first month, the people that dropped out either dropped out, but most of them dropped down to part-time. And then some afterwards just kind of started dropping out due to other reasons, like academic reasons or um, like attendance reasons. It was, it was intense enough for people to start dropping after like people just dropped to full or like part-time and stuff. Um, well, I think one yeah. of the big things is they don't tell you how much reading is really involved. And that's the thing is with Thinkful compared to maybe like full stack Academy where it is in person and someone's teaching it to you, you're teaching this to yourself basically, you know, yeah, you do meet with a mentor twice a week or whatever, but you're just doing a bunch of reading monkey see monkey do sort of thing. And I don't think people were expecting that um, in particular. And they do. I feel like some of the JavaScript stuff um, with the curriculum in the early, when you first learned JavaScript, I felt like it bounced around a little. Like Gage said, there was some info that was kind of outdated. I found a lot of mistakes. Some of the solutions weren't even right or they were far more complex than what they needed to be. Um, so I'm sure people probably got thrown for a loop just for the sole fact of how much you have to read. And it can get very dry at times. So in a yeah. typical day, um, what would be the ratio of the amount of time that you'd be reading? Uh, I think mm. I spent maybe, let's see, a given checkpoint could probably take you maybe about an hour, maybe two hours, depending on what you needed to do. Um, and I would say you'd probably spend maybe about 20, 30 minutes per reading per checkpoint. And when you're trying to do three, four checkpoints in a day, maybe, you know, it's just very dry in that third and fourth checkpoint and pacing yourself through that stuff. I don't think people realized or knew how to pace themselves either. So for our, the full-time immersion, we would, um, like the night before you would read like the checkpoints, like ahead of time. And then the next day you would have like a, your morning lecture. And then, um, you would do, you would break off into like pair programming and like work through that checkpoint. And then after that, you'd have like your afternoon lecture and then you would just go back to pair programming for the rest of the day. Okay. Same. Where did the instructors come in? The instructors came in pretty much for morning lecture and afternoon lecture, about an hour and a half each, if I remember correctly. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Okay. And then the TAs were there during pair programming. Mm -hmm. And okay, then so the 
teacher would just walk you through like each checkpoint. But they would like expect you to like have pre-read the checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Was it kind of like uh did they dedicate time for that? It sounds like they dedicated time for that day, but did they kind of expect you to do any pre-reading before you came into the class that day? Yeah, they expected uh, yeah, you they to would read ask the, questions. Yeah, they actually expected you to read to pre-read the stuff that you were going to work on that day. So all the checkpoints you were going to do that day, you were expected to pre-read. Could you do the checkpoints without reading? Yeah, it'd just be harder yeah, to follow because there's along. like little, there's like little like REPL like a breakpoints, and it tells you. So like you'll like read for like 15 minutes, and then they'll have like a REPL or like a sandbox on like actually going through like what you just read. Okay, okay, yeah. I one thing I was worried is. Um, yeah, that they were kind of pulling the instructors away to maybe save money and just have you read the content that the instructor should be teaching. But it more sounds like it's it's pre-reading. It's it's supplemental material to like really yeah. solidify the skills. Um, so that's good to hear. Interesting. Okay, so people weren't able to pace themselves because the learning or the reading maybe was a little bit. Okay, I really. Oh, I don't. I don't know if I want to pause the curriculum because i okay i do i really want to know what was the application process like um i'm just gonna give my idea but i I want you to be honest with what you think of it when i hear this many people dropping out that tells me that they're not screening well enough it tells me yeah um so Uh, that that's kind of my concern i honestly i want to hear from you guys go ahead i wouldn't be surprised at all if that was the case um Due to the due to the amount of dropouts, you did end up having to do like a preliminary like month of work to get like to get in. So everybody that was in the cohort that ended up dropping out had to do that month of work. So um, it was. But they. Oh, you can keep going. Odd, yeah, um, because I still don't think that they were like really prepared for what was about to come, and the actual like application process was almost, it almost put me off guard because I sent in the application and I swear 15 minutes later, someone called me about the application, like how to move forward and stuff. And I was like, in like 15 minutes, how did you even get to my application already? Yeah. I got a call Um, later that day after I submitted my application. (laughs) Yeah. It almost put me off guard how quick it was. Um, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised if there was like a lack of in-depth screening. So I feel like they should have went stronger into like JavaScript because like in the um, uh, like pre-course or whatever, they didn't get like the only thing like they taught you is just like basic JavaScript and like arrow functions. And then for, cause you actually had to pass like a practice, like interview to like qualify to join like your cohort or whatever. And they would, they just asked you like simple, like JavaScript questions and, like how to like create a function that builds out like a string and stuff like that. So it's like simple. Oh, okay. That clarifies it a little bit. Okay. So they, they had an interview process, just one where it'd be focused on the technical and it would be really mm-hmm. basic JavaScript questions. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. basically HTML and CSS questions. Okay. Uh, I, Okay. So 
I don't know if there's anything more to ask about that application. Well, was there... I mean, I remember getting or talking to what's now known as like the academic success manager, I think is what they call them. Um, I had a phone screening with her, with her initially. It was after I'd done my application, I had talked to that person about my application. Then they transferred me to another person to have my phone screen with them. And then I did the one month, whatever, um, and then did the practice. And then you were kind of like in it from there. So um, maybe not everyone does that. I don't know, because it sounds like you, Gage and Anthony, you guys didn't do that as much or. No, that sounds on par with what we did. I mean, we okay. had the yeah. we had the interview and stuff, but yeah, that sounds on par. Okay, so maybe the questions they asked didn't challenge the interviewees enough. Um, do you? Yeah, feel I mean, like- there was definitely some people in in my cohort that I could tell either didn't have like any idea what they were doing, maybe didn't do what they were supposed mm-hmm. to, but like. Oh, I don't want to say that this person couldn't be a developer, but like they obviously did not care to even put the effort into being one. Well, and so that's one thing that's screened out very often is the interest, right? The passion into being a developer. Um, So I have two questions. I got to remember the first one I just forgot. But the second one, let's actually focus on pair programming. You guys did a lot of pair programming. Did you feel like um, actually kind of with what you mentioned, Gage, did you feel like people didn't care as much as you cared? Do you feel like there is some sort of like did they do a good job of pairing you with a person that like built you up and, and made you do kind of like held you accountable and also contributed? The pairs were random every day. Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, I definitely did get paired with people that just brought my game down and like I did the work and they just didn't, I can't put all the faults on them. It's a fire hose of information for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of understood what was going on a little easier than like the average person. But I, I think that like there was a lot of people who just genuinely couldn't keep up with the amount of information and, or, or just didn't put the effort in. Like I couldn't see what they were doing outside of class or anything, but I knew in class they weren't doing Jack really. What about the pre-work? Did you have to prove that you did the pre-work? Or did you just say that you did the pre-work, then you start the boot camp? You would just turn it in. You would submit like a REPL link of like the assignment or whatever. Okay, so you would at least mm-hmm. submit a link to show that you completed it. I'm curious if they... Because Full Stack Academy had a bad... I thought they had a bad habit of bringing in people that didn't complete the pre-work. That they basically... They would warn them, um, you're going to struggle. Are you sure you want to do this? And then just let them in anyways. And that, um, but overall, like you were paired with very smart people that were kind of on the same level and same interest. Um, I, okay. That gives me some context with App Academy. And that's probably where some of the issues came in with so many dropouts and um, just people that uh, didn't care as much, but the effort in, because that's, that's what you have to do, right? You have to put the effort in. Like uh, no one's, like incredibly intelligent and just knows everything when they go in. Everyone, no matter whether you came from a computer science degree, whether you're intelligent, whether you feel like you're not intelligent, it's like you just need good habits. You need to put the time into the work to learn it. That's the main thing. Um, Okay. That gives me some more context with the application process. Did you guys want to add anything extra before you move on? I actually did just think of something, and that was pretty much that the, the preliminary 
work was pretty at your own pace. So the, like you could have just been pretty leisure about it. Like got this stuff turned in, didn't take super, super long, wasn't super challenging. And then you get, you pass cool. You're in there and then boom, you're just information. Go, go, go work, 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 code, code, code. So I think that probably played a little bit into it. Okay. Yeah. People weren't expecting it. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Uh, all right, that definitely gave me useful context, and I'm sure the viewers useful context. Let's dive back into the curriculum. You guys learned JavaScript. Yep, JavaScript and- heavy. So we learned uh, first they teach you like jQuery on like how to like manipulate the DOM and stuff like that, and then they get you into React, where it's just learning like class components. They actually taught you the context API, which was nice, instead of like Redux, because I would have hated to learn Redux. <laughs> um. And then you get put on to like node and then uh, after that's just like data. Oh yeah. Postgres. And then uh, like just data structures and algorithms at the end. How long did you spend on data structures and algorithms? I wish longer. It was only like a month or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It was very short. A couple weeks to a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. One thing I like is that they put it towards the end. I think it could be very That's hard to learn the fundamentals of JavaScript and data structures and algorithms. We did that in the first week, and that was rough. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so how well do you get... So, you know, we can have this argument of whether they belong in interviews or not with the challenges, but they're there. Data structures and algorithms are often put in interviews to kind of screen initial... Um, applicants out how well did you feel like you were prepared for those types of interviews with the knowledge that you had with data structures and algorithms i guess luckily i oh wait you gonna go first no you can go ahead i've been doing it too much okay (laughs) (laughs) um luckily like in my interviews i never had any data structures and algorithms uh questions i mainly had like web optimization like questions and stuff like that which i actually like enjoyed because i would pertain to my job and stuff right how about you guys i i think um i was prepared as long as the actual employer was reasonable about what they were expecting me to know like i know how linked list works i know how a map works i know how stacks and queues work and if i need to implement one i'll find out i'll figure it out and implement it again because i've done it before but if you wanted, to, if you wanted me to do it right now, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but I know exactly how it works and um, stuff like that. So I guess it does depend on like how reasonable the actual employer is with their questions. But I think I was prepared for like a reasonable question in regards to data structures and algorithms, binary search trees too. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, out of my one interview that I had, we didn't really touch much on the data structures and algorithms. Um, but I could see why, you know, kind of going off of gauge, like ex- seeing what the interviewer is expecting of you, because we are just boot camp grads and we don't spend the extra maybe two years learning all the different data structures and really getting into the meat and the potatoes of it all. We know how to implement it. If I 
I couldn't tell you how to, I would do it right on a whiteboard at this moment, but give me 10 minutes with Google a little bit, you know, and just let me tinker with it. I'll figure something out and get something implemented. Um, so, yeah. Okay. It, and so I think you guys brought up a really good point. Um, very often it's helpful to have context of how they work and what you would use when, um, and then be able to look up the implementation when you need it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the realistic scenario. It sounds like you wish they had spent more time with it, but it sounds like in general, you guys felt pretty prepared for it. It's enough to get your feet wet, but I Mm -hmm. definitely personally need to spend more time with it. Um, I do feel prepared, but at the same time, I don't. So I I think they could probably spend another week or two easily on granted. There's just so much to it and it is kind of confusing. At least for me, I found it confusing at the start. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until about that third or fourth week that I started kind of understanding it a little bit better. So it also depends on your learning style and learning type too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you guys practice like whiteboard questions or anything like that? No, not that I can remember. Okay. Not, uh, sometimes in the data instructions, like whenever I had the teacher, like every morning she'd start out like asking someone, like they would, she would give them like an interview question. That's about like as far as they went. And then like the person would just join the call and do it in front of like everyone. Oh, wow. And she would like step you through it. Yeah, it was kind of rough. <laughs> yeah, that is rough. Um, okay. I um, <laughs> I hate being called down in class. I absolutely yeah. hate it. Uh, I think everyone does. <laughs> so it's a full stack JavaScript program. You guys touch on both front end and back end. One thing that I often hear is sometimes the transition from front end to back end or back end to front end is rough because it's a different, different model of thinking in your head, different type of logic sometimes. And, um, a lot of people struggle when they transition from the front end to back end when they're learning. Did you feel like it was much easier to learn the back end? It was much easier to learn the front end. And then when you switched, um, did, how do you feel like the transition went? Did you feel like you were able to, to jump into the other side pretty easily? Yeah, I yeah. think they did the transition pretty well. The The boot camp that I help teach now doesn't do it the same way. And I think it's a little harder the way they do it, okay. which um, they pretty much went like full 180 after you, they, they were teaching you front end. And then um, once you got the front end down and like what the, what Axios does, um, for like fetch requests and stuff. Then they went to node, which this, the um, stack we teach is Mern stack. So react is still involved, but they decided to put it after the node section. So you, they, you teach them front end and then it goes to node and then it goes back to the front end with react. Um, That's weird. It is weird. And I think it, it made it a hard transition because I think for us, when we, spent so much time on the front end figuring out how fetch requests work and what the fetch API is, how Axios works. It made it easy for us to imagine what the server is doing. And then it made it an easy transition. In fact, what we ended up having to tell them or what the curriculum that I'm working with 
is telling the class right now. From the start, it was the server is a black box, a magic black box where you ask it something and it returns something. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it, it, I think because of them putting React afterwards, it limited their ability to figure out or comprehend what Node is doing on the back end, where we didn't have that problem. So just to be clear, in um in app or sorry not app academy thankful um you would make a bunch of requests on the front end and then kind of build out the api and figure out how those requests are going to be handled that's what thankful does so they give you a they may, they have like their own like json api like teaching you like how to use like dynamic data and like how to pass it in as like props or context or whatever. And then once you get familiar with using like the JSON API, they like have you start building out your own API. And then you'll go back to like your past stuff where you're using the JSON API. And then they'll have you like implement your own. You would make, you would change the call to uh, like your newly built API. That way, like you get used to like using the data in React and then like building it out. I like that. Yeah, I yeah, really nice. like that. Then, at least for me personally, I found learning the back end a lot easier than the front end. And I think partially is just because um, I learned the front end first and making that transition over just kind of seemed fluid to me. I already had a good idea of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And it was just a matter of learning the implementation for it. So I think maybe having React first and having their own set of JSON and their own data sets that you use and then as Anthony said, you do go back to some projects and implement your new API that you just built for it. And you do that for, I think I did for like two or three different projects that you do kind of throughout the whole course. And you go back to one of your early, like very first projects, you transform it into React. And um, so, yeah, I would say learning the front end to the back end was a lot easier. Yeah. Okay. I I agree. I think the front end was harder because of React in, in particular. Mm -hmm. I think React was the most abstract thing for me to get my head around because it's it was built to make th problems that you should already know about as a developer easier. So if you don't know what's going on in like a regular JavaScript page or like a regular HTML page, you're not going to know what React is fixing and why it's better or what the heck's going on. So I think like state components class like class components functional components all that stuff was really abstract for me to get my head around because i was like all right i have to remember why this is even needed because i have to remember the problems that they're fixing which i'm not super familiar with yet so i think that was the most abstract thing to get my head around note it was like all right this is pretty obvious what it's doing it's in fact pretty self-explanatory when you do like an ex like express.get or like a, you 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 name the express app like server server.get that's pretty self-explanatory what's going on um whereas react was a little bit like you have to you have to work with jsx you have to work with state you have to work with all this different stuff i think that made it really hard so i would i want to be clear i'm not i'm not selling full stack academy it's just like the one experience i have to compare it to um one thing we did was like so you brought up the idea React is kind of an abstract concept. And in order to learn it, you have to know what it's solving, right? You basically mm -hmm. have to know, you know, um, you have to have experience with a lot of spaghetti code that 
gets complex and hard to manage and um, like a lot of data manipulation and movement with that data. It's um, to realize like why we use something like React. Uh, But one thing we did was we kind of built like a really, really simple version of React, a very simple version of like a virtual DOM. Um, And we, by doing that, we were able to understand like all the pieces involved in React. It was really sloppy code that we built. Um, a lot of it e- didn't even work by the end of the, the workshop. A lot of people struggled with it, but I do like the idea of like, if you're going to bring in a framework and you're learning, like you're trying to become a developer, you're learning these concepts, like try to build that framework out piece by piece. Um, cause it'll help you understand how, like what all the pieces are and how they connect together. And it can be really, really difficult and sometimes overwhelming to do that. But often people come out of that and they feel like they kind of understand how everything's working. They understand what's going on under the hood a little bit, just a little bit with react. Um, so what you're saying is you felt like there might have been kind of a, maybe not a. Yeah, maybe disconnect is the right word. Like you started diving into a library, you didn't understand really what it was doing, and you would you give feed like what kind of feedback would you give to make that transition a little bit simpler? So React isn't so abstract, where you understood it a little bit more when you dove into it. And that's really important because a lot of people in like, say you're getting hired for a React position. I know like even in my interview, they ask you like they test to see if you actually know React, not if you can just like write a component. They ask you like they'll give you like a component and ask you like what it's doing in plain JavaScript. That way you're like, you know, like what it's doing and not just like how to build something. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. Um, Anthony, I have to ask you, do you have like a podcast or anything? I just noticed a mic set up. No, I do not. No, I just have it just because I like my headphones and they don't have a mic on them. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Okay, so I think what else do I want to ask before we dive off the curriculum? Actually, let's just dive into the next topic. What do you guys think of your instructors? Amazing. I like my instructors. I thought they were good. Okay. I thought mine were mine were pretty good too. One of the things that the boot camp that I'm in does differently is that they have the same instructor through the entire course, and we switched instructors probably three times, four times. Yeah, but I like it because each one of them were experienced in that like particular topic. You don't have someone that just knows like a little bit about like each thing. Hmm. Yeah, and. Knowing, knowing that the instructor that does the boot camp that I do now is so like good at teaching the entire the entire stack, I know that it'd probably be hard to find people that know the entire stack. But man, is that so much nicer! <laughs> like you don't have to. You can get it. It's been really personal, like the connection that you can get with the students when you have that same instructor during the entirety of the course, but I didn't have a bad time switching instructors around just, just personal preference, I guess. I think on the flip side of that though, too, is you can get a different perspective by switching teachers so often, as opposed to having that one teacher. Um, Cause I know when I was in massage school, I had the same teachers, you know, for two of my classes and yeah, you do build that connection. 
And it wasn't until I took the same class again with a different teacher that you do see it from a different perspective. So you, you make a really good point, Alex. Um, I want to give, I want to give an example. Um, I had two instructors in my cohort throughout the entire thing. And I'm going to be honest. Um, I, there's one instructor that they, they both were good instructors, but one had more experienced teaching. And there was one instructor that I would have loved doing the entire thing with. And one instructor that I, uh, probably not, I don't think it would have been worth the money to be honest. And, uh, but one thing they did is they complimented each other really well and they would speak up in areas that they knew about and they did have different perspectives. It was interesting because, um, the, it's kind of funny because one of the instructors that um, actually just got hired, she was a newer instructor. She would basically in the middle of the class, like just challenge the other instructor and be like, that's not right. And then like they would kind of have, it wasn't an argument. It would just be like a back and forth of like, okay, what's the real answer? And it would actually be really constructive. Like the entire uh, cohort actually got a lot out of that. But um, the interesting thing was they both had their different perspectives in one, like one might dive into like in more depth and give more like contextual examples where one um, like, like there was one instructor where she would actually like just code out like three different examples. And when you get different like perspectives uh, or different ways to solve a problem, you're able to reinforce the, the concept that you're learning a lot more. And then one instructor, he was just, he had more experience teaching and he went into depth in the right areas, but he didn't give a lot of examples. And I do feel like having multiple instructors to get different perspectives on, it made the experience way, way better. It's a little bit different than what you guys are talking about. Cause it sounds like you had like instructors switching out, but yeah. um, we didn't I, have like two instructors at the same time. You yeah. In fact, if anything, like it's we, the one that I'm doing now, we have three TAs because it's a class of 36 students, but wow. um, all three of us are there during the entire class time. So like, if I want to interject with what I got to say about the lesson he's teaching, I can interject. I can be like, Oh, by the way, if you want to do a four each loop, but you want to return a new array, with all the functions applied to it, you can use a dot map and then dot and then Dan, the instructor will be like, Gage is exactly right. If you want to do that, use a dot map and you can, you can do all these, you can use a for loop or you could use a for in loop. And hmm. yeah, that's cool. um, it's been really cool that, yeah, I've been able to do that because it's, it's different from ours. The TAs weren't around until pair programming and then they didn't have the, an ability to interject what their opinions were, if anything they had to add that the teacher may have missed. Um, but we're here, but we're there to do that like the whole day, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely is. Okay. Uh, so the, it sounds like the instructors were pretty good. You guys had TAs as well. Yeah. I think there was like three total and uh, they were mm -hmm. split up between the class. And I think my cohort had like, like 18 or 20 people. What do you think of the TAs? They TAs were, were good. good. Yeah. Okay. Really knowledgeable. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I think that's uh, I think that's pretty good for the curriculum. I because I, I feel like any other information people can. Do you think? Have you seen Thankful advertise like their curriculum, like a very basic version of it, like what they go over on their website? Did you guys look that up at all? They like list like the technology. It's just not like 
the things that they go over, like not like methods or. Right. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like they have a general outline. So people want to learn more about that. They can probably go to the website. So this is the, one of the most fun topics uh, for me. So we're going to dive into how well do you feel like you were prepared coming out of the coding bootcamp to get a professional developer position? For my general area, not that well because I'm in Microsoft and Facebook land and all that. And they no longer use plain JavaScript. Everyone's using TypeScript or like other languages like that. Like I know Microsoft for their back end, I couldn't do any of their positions because it's all in like C sharp. So I had to like learn a lot of uh, technologies coming out the gate. So like yeah. my whole like last month I spent learning like TypeScript and stuff. That's okay. one thing I've noticed still being on the job hunt is a lot of places are looking for C sharp or Java or Python for backend. Um, and I started learning Python about a month ago, I think, and kind of doing it here and there when I have time. But overall, I feel pretty prepared. I feel like coming straight out of a boot camp, I feel like I could jump into a project and feel pretty comfortable of what I'm doing. There are some areas where I would probably go to the senior level and just be like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, just give me a general idea of where I'm, what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but overall, yeah, I feel pretty prepared. Same. Okay. Yeah. I felt that there wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot for me to, um, really catch up on that they didn't get into with that except for like react hooks and probably like actual design for web pages. Like by the time I was done, I had, I'd still had zero clue how to lay out, lay out a website with an aesthetic that was really appealing at all. Um, so I ended up spending like the next month doing like design classes and stuff. Um, just trying to get that skill way, way nicer, because to be honest, that's probably one of the, one of the skills that I would have loved to actually dive into more because it's so important. Like I didn't know exactly how much more attention I'd get until my portfolio actually looked good, not just decent, not just acceptable, good. So, and it's, it's still not even like amazing or anything. It's just good. But that in itself was was such a valuable skill that I had to end up learning myself afterwards. Other than that, and like React hooks and stuff, which is just something you should know for React nowadays, I felt pretty prepared otherwise. Okay. I, what do I want to ask? Okay, so it overall um, sounds like a couple different mixed reviews. I want I want to pick at this a little bit more. Uh, Alex, like I said, um, I'd love to have a private conversation with you, help out any way I can. That offer still stands, but I want to touch on the surface of this a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, why do you feel like you haven't gotten a position yet? Uh, well, so I live outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, about 40 minutes Southwest of there. Um, and so in Ann Arbor, it is up and coming for tech. It's not super up and coming so i've been looking in detroit back in madison i've actually looked in seattle and portland and one thing i'm finding is it's all three to five years of experience um i'm finding a lot of stuff is for java c sharp i am finding stuff that's for react but i think for me it might be my resume is not 
as impressive as I think it might be. It could be my portfolio just is bland and they don't even want to scroll through it. It could be, you know, my code isn't that great. And I think it's, you know, it, it looks good to me. So maybe it is good. I don't know. So that might be the reason why. Um, but again, it could be because of COVID though. It could be just the area I'm in. I got one guy who denied me because I live too far away. And he didn't even give me a shot to be like, I'm willing to relocate closer though. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to pay for it. I have money to pay for that. And he just didn't give me the time or the day after that. Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, you know, if they give you the job, you don't have to relocate and that creates an issue with them. I wonder, mm-hmm. because a lot of um, a lot of companies won't reach back out to me. I haven't, I mean, I haven't tried recently, but when I was first trying to get a developer position, no one reached out to me. If I was, uh, like I applied to Texas, I was in Indiana and like as soon as I figured it out, no, that <laughs> interview is done. Yeah. I, I think a lot of employers are like that. I would be curious to talk to more employers about that specific issue and kind of what their concerns are. Maybe that's another podcast episode because relocation. Actually, I'm going to write that down. This is how I come up with new. Hold on. Uh, new episode. You're welcome. You can send me a bill for my check later. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's hard to know it's definitely hard to know why you don't get a position and and then once you finally do you don't question that anymore and it becomes easier once you get that first position it becomes a lot easier to move around different positions and find the right that's what i've heard is once you get the first position then you're fine because now you have a proven track record of okay well he's actually worked on a project x y and z Mm -hmm. um i did have a few people mention well you don't seem to have any group projects on there um a lot of the stuff i did was just on my own Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's another reason it's just all me and who knows. <laughs> right. I've been yeah. asking myself that for the last six months. My girlfriend's been asking that. We're yelling at the employers from my house to <laughs> be a job finally. I'm ready to work. Yeah. There really are so many variables right now. Like oh, yeah. there's probably a bunch of people that are laid off due to COVID. So there are probably much more people that are ripe for the pick in that are actually experienced devs. So there's that. And then there's the ridiculous amount of experience in the interview process, which if you're active on LinkedIn, you see people making fun of all the time for the, in this particular yep. field. So that's just another thing. And yeah, just all those other variables you mentioned, it just adds up. You have no, and it, yeah, makes it, so you have no idea what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Layoffs are lack, real. Like layoffs. lack of, oh, I was, sorry. I was going to say lack of feedback too. That's yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's my biggest thing. I, if I ever like become on like the hiring team, I if someone gets past like either like the first or second round of some of these companies, I will personally email that person back and tell them like what they could work on and stuff like that. That's and gonna that's, be like my goal in life. That I love that mindset, um, but I can tell you because I I was a director at the YMCA for a while. I had about twenty five staff, and when I would hire. It's, I would love to give that feedback. I really would. I wanted to help out everyone, but people sue for anything, like anything. Yeah. And that's the problem. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, like, that is true. I don't think employers like want to be jerks. 
Like most, like every boss I ever had, um, and I've, I've had this conversation a couple times, they wanted to help people out. They want to see developers be successful. They want the tech industry to boom, and they want to bring in passionate people. A lot of passionate people get rejected, sometimes because they don't have the experience. Sometimes it's a cultural fit. Sometimes it's just like interactions with others, or they view your Twitter, and you're like, you know, like, they could be so many different factors, but it, like, it's a risk factor sometimes. Um, and it would be nice to give that feedback. Um, but... Like you, like I said, people sue for anything and employers have been like backed up into a corner where HR is saying, you better not say any of this, you know, like, or <laughs> yeah, especially during COVID too. It's like a lawsuit when they're already doing layoffs is whew, that's going to be a really, really hard thing to handle at a company. But it's sad because so many people just want the feedback. They're not going to sue. You just get a few bad eggs that are, um, but yeah, that that's why feedback doesn't exist. I wish it did. I really wish it did, but uh, mm-hmm. companies need well, to be a little bit more It just gives people protected. a reason to, for something to work on and stuff like that. Yeah. That they don't realize that they're not like strong in. Yeah. No, you, you make a really good point. And my advice to you is you're probably not going to get a lot of feedback from employers. What you should do is speak to actual software engineers. Don't speak to people who are like professional resume builders. Don't speak to career advisors, in my opinion, until you speak to actual software engineers that are doing the day to day or like speak to lead developers or like build a connection with a lead developer CTO that's at a company you're not applying to. Right. And just like have that conversation with them. And if they're honest about it, that's where you're going to get a lot of good, good feedback. Um, so that's my recommendation for people that aren't getting feedback. I think um Okay, so it's really hard to tell, you know, why you didn't get that position. I was just curious. I appreciate you diving into that. Uh, but uh, what was like the job assistance like at this coding boot camp? Did they provide any after you graduated? Yeah, it's, at least for me, I had the six months careers coach um, where you, which mine actually just ended maybe a week or two ago and had our little send off emails, all that schnaz. Um, met with her a few times. At shortly after graduating, but the last few months, I haven't felt like a need to grad or reach out to her and meet with her on Zoom or whatever. Um, they help you. They have a big, like a template for tracking your job applications. If you reach out to people, do your meetups. Um, there's a tab for how many times you've committed your code. I think too. They might have changed a little bit, but and it's just a tr- tracker, really, just on Excel. Um, right on the Google Docs, all that jazz. So I thought it was, it was there. It was a resource and they're not going to get me the job nine times out of 10, well, 10 times out of 10, probably it's, I'm not expecting them to get me a job just straight out the gate, but I feel like I could probably get reworked a little bit more. It felt like at times, like I would ask her something and I just wouldn't get the answer that I was expecting to hear. Maybe, um, I don't know if you gauge and Anthony had the same experience, but I have one quick question for you. Were you not eligible for the tuition reimbursement because of where you're located? So I lived in Madison. I was eligible when I moved to Ann Arbor. Um, oh, I wouldn't I became, have moved. <laughs> the problem is, is I had to because I knew I'd be gone longer than expected. And I had to take time off from the program in order to gotcha. move and pack up my apartment and all this stuff and re unpack some of my stuff too. So that's why I had to tell them and found out two weeks later that I was now ineligible for my tuition reimbursement. I didn't find out until I was about to graduate that I wasn't 
eligible for tuition reimbursement because I was on the stipend program. Mm. Nobody, nobody wow. brought that up. I'm sure it was mentioned. I'm sure you could argue, Oh, it was mentioned in the contract. Oh, I bet it was mentioned in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> what was the tuition reimbursement? Uh, it's if you don't find a job that pays 50,000, six, I think it's 60, more than 60 K. Then they just refund your tuition. Yeah. Yeah, it was after like a year or something. Okay. I think it was six months. I think it's six months because it's as long yeah, as like the six uh, career person helps you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. How do they combat against people that just don't get a job within six, six months to a year? Like are people. Their location. So, you have to be next to like a like a tech hub. You have to be like 25 miles within a tech hub. What would yeah. prevent people from just sitting and saying they're applying? Well, that, but not really they use trying. That, that Excel spreadsheet to track if you're at, because they give you like, they tell you at this, right after you graduate, you meet with the careers coach. They tell you, they want you to do, I think, 10 job applications per week. They want you to do three meetups per month. And of course, we're all going through COVID right now. So like <laughs> doing the meetups. And so they reworked it a little bit for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, that's what they did. And if you weren't up to those standards, then I think they would disqualify you from that. So you can't just graduate, sit on your butt for six months, get your tuition back, and then boom, you get a job two weeks later, maybe. Okay. Still seems like a system that's easy to cheat. So you're applying for 10 positions. You can go to meetups. You can commit. You can work on projects. Mm-hmm. Um, how, like, what's the, like, how? how would they ever prove that like you're either not getting a job or you're just like sitting on job offers? I don't know if they really have a way to prove it, but I think for the right person, they're going to be working towards it. Mm -hmm. And I think like, it's not a good habit to build. (laughs) First of all, it's not moral to just uh, do that. Like we we can get into the morality, but I I think when you introduce tuition reimbursement, it gets into really great areas. And that's where like, I see, um, I see (sighs) sometimes like misaligned interest, but I see alumni getting upset with the coding bootcamp and how they handle that. Sometimes they are a little bit, too strict and like we even talked about the idea well you got an offer that was forty thousand why didn't you take it well it's because it's forty thousand dollars it's not a lot of money as an engineer it's like um i you're worth way more than that is basically what i'm saying so like then you get a coding boot camp that pressures you into taking a, a very low offer um where you like you're barely affording bills now you have to also pay the coding boot camp back so the execution of how they do that matters and it can get like really nasty sometimes. So um, I was just curious. And I think some coding boot camps are starting to offer that um, because people want a little bit more security. Um, people always want security, but okay. Interesting. So they have that, that type of program. Um, I think, I think that's enough for the job assistance. What I want to dive into this is kind of like our final piece. So think about like the application process, the curriculum, the job assistance and anything else, the instructors, what constructive feedback would you have for the bootcamp? If you had to make it a much better experience, even just for yourself, what kind of feedback would you give? 
I would recommend probably teaching like the most modern parts of like the technology, like teaching like in React, like React hooks is a must. Um, teaching like TypeScript and like how to do like static typing for like languages and stuff like that. Um, that's and being more pay attention more to like optimization and stuff like that with like CSS and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. I think they. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Oh, um, I was gonna say maybe proofreading a little bit because there were you know you're gonna have misspellings here and there, but some of the stuff was re- like worded weirdly, um, and kind of same thing as Anthony though, just getting it up to modern speed. It was great learning the context for React, but seeing a lot of stuff for React hooks, Redux. Um, so even if you just spend like a couple days on it or a week or two just some time into it just to get our feet wet would, would have been nice. Um, along with all the different like CSS styles with, um, SAS and what is it? Less or less or whatever. Less. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So even delving into that a little bit, even if it's towards the end of the curriculum where you kind of are maybe getting closer to the, like the data algorithms and the structures, and maybe you're working on your second capstone project. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think they could have, structured the curriculum differently as far as the way that you actually go about your curriculum and learning. I think, you know, there's, there's not much you can add to the curriculum without making it just a stronger fire hose of information. Um, but I think having to read the checkpoints, do the checkpoints yourself, do them again tomorrow with your pair. Cause it usually, it wasn't expensive you were expected to do more than just read the checkpoint. You were expected to follow along with the checkpoint, code along with the checkpoint, go to class tomorrow. They would do a lecture on those checkpoints. Then you would go redo those checkpoints with your pair programmers. I think that is like, I get what they were trying to do, but I think it was a little bit overboard. Like I think too much repetition. Yeah. I think, I think it ended up causing if anything burnout more than like, a cementing of information. Um, I think what we, what we do in the coding bootcamp that I do now is we do the, the instructor does one of the checkpoints in front of everybody. And then there's a student provide a checkpoint, which is this very similar, but a little bit different. And then they work on that together or alone, depending on the complexity of the activity. And then we all talk about it and then we move on to the next one. So, um, there's, there's still homework, but it's like we, there's two homework assignments per week. That's the only stuff you have to do outside of class. And, um, you do definitely still have to do work outside of class to cement these skills, but it's not doing the same thing twice. Okay. It sounds like a lot of the feedback is towards the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, do you feel like they iterate fast on the curriculum? Like, uh, it, sometimes it's hard to know. You have to talk to different cohorts, but do you feel like they were open to changing it? Cause you, well, one thing you had mentioned was they were a little bit slow with newer concepts that should have been introduced like hooks. Uh, they were slower to bring that in, but, um, I'm kind of curious if you guys know how fast they iterate on their curriculum. 
I know I it, have, got, I have no clue. it got updated twice during my time. Okay. Uh, hmm. But I, it wasn't like a major update where they introduced something like hooks or something. I'm actually trying to see if I can find some of the curriculum right now. Do we still have access to the curriculum? I haven't even looked. I, yeah, We're supposed at least I to have lifetime access. We're supposed that, to. That's one of the, I guess you could say upsides, <laughs> but if you ever need I to copied, go back and learn basics, but. Yeah. I copied the entire curriculum down into my OneNote folder, though. <laughs> um, way to do it. <laughs> I, uh, I was going to say something in regards to. Well, what were we just talking about before we started talking about the oh, curriculum? Yes. Um, so. I didn't see any updates while I was doing it, but I do know that they were asking about our opinion of the curriculum quite often during the course. Yes. So I can't say what they did as far as going about implementing those, that feedback, but I can say that they did ask for it quite often. And one thing I did like is the challenges after each section, because you had like a little mock interview after each section to like test you on. And I feel like that's where most of the dropouts came from. It was just people failing the interviews. Yeah. And just same. not like catching up. You get, same. you get two chances to pass it, right? Yep. You get two passes. And then if you fail the third, you're out. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. How many uh, sections did you have? There's four. Cause there's one for jQuery, one for react, one for, back in and one for data structures. Yeah. I can't remember the exact one either, but I think I think he's pretty pretty much on on point right there. Yeah. Okay. So pretty much four checkpoints. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. that sounds pretty good. I um I'd be really curious to yeah, like the, the big the big thing that I noticed as far as um, something that could be constructive, I'd be really curious to why so many people are failing out. Um, Cause that's a, it's kind of a big number you introduce gauge. And I, yeah, uh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I wonder yeah. if some of it's from that first initial mock interview that they have you do. Um, Cause I know everyone's kind of worried about that. And I know I've heard some people having real tough uh, mock interviews. Mine was pretty easy and i feel I should have failed it, but they ended up passing me. So I don't know if some of the interviewers just kind of pass you along or if some of them actually try and t- pass you and everything. Mm-hmm. I My guys always, they nitpicked everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn. There were a couple that were pretty lax on me. And um, I think to be honest, maybe it was the screening process that really did it all in because there was probably about 12 dropouts in the first couple weeks because of the initial intensity and like that first interview and stuff like that. I think, I think there was like a big dissonance on what they told you to expect versus what to actually expect. And that probably led to a lot of the dropouts because it really, it, there were still dropouts every now and then after that, but it was pretty, it was pretty far, few and far between. Um, I would say like almost half my class dropped out in like the first month. And that was probably a dissonance between what to, what they expected and what they actually, what actually started happening. Um, 
because it wasn't particular, like it wasn't too intense. I graduated a week early. So like, it's, it's definitely like definitely doable. I think it was just that too many people did get let in when they shouldn't have, or they weren't expecting. And they were like, they still had like life life responsibilities that they couldn't take care of. They still needed a job. They still had kids to take care of and they couldn't do it, I'd be, which is totally understandable. But yeah, I think that might've been a big, big, I'd be interested if there's like a quota or like some kind of like on the sales team, if there's like a, say like a reward or something for like <laughs> getting people on. I wouldn't be surprised. There probably is. That's a really good point because, um, it well my question is do you get a refund if you quit within like the first two weeks or something like that or not a refund you just aren't charged? i think they're you i think it's based on a percentage like how far you get in okay. i think like if you quit within like the first like week you probably get like all your money back and then like if you get into like the first checkpoint you get like 90 percent back or something i don't know like how it goes based on like the billing options because with like the stipend and stuff like that it might get tricky <laughs> Yeah, maybe this is a controversial opinion, but in my opinion, they shouldn't uh, be lenient on the refund. I like the percentage idea. I just think it needs to be a higher percentage of what you owe. And I think that's going to basically like if you make that clear and make uh, bring that into the interview process, I think it'll it'll definitely make sure people are serious when they go into it. And I think that's what they need to do a better job of uh, because it can affect the entire experience for other people it's not just you it's like when you know you're going to be quitting or um for whatever reason you're just not putting in 60 hours you're only putting in the minimum because you weren't given that expectation early enough and like you said now you have kids to take care of and you didn't work that out with your partner to to do that or like you were struggling with bills and uh you thought you could work a part-time job while going to you know a full immersive coding boot camp um i don't know that gets tricky but yeah, it, it does affect other people's experiences. I, It sounds like overall the curriculum was pretty good, a little bit outdated, and they would really, really benefit from a stricter screening process because, first of all, that's going to, uh, when you have that many people dropping out, people that drop out generally aren't going to give the best word of mouth feedback. Um, they don't have the best experience, um, you know, with a few exceptions. I would love to see them work on that. I think it'd be really useful for them. And uh, yeah, I think you guys gave really, really good feedback. I think we touched on everything I wanted to touch on. So what's one final piece of feedback that you would give to aspiring developers right now that are considering a coding boot camp? Be ready to work. <laughs> like get, get ready because you know as gage said you did 60 hours you know i was probably doing about 40 i had my weeks where i did 60 late nights whatever it may be you know as soon as i wake up i'm coding you know yeah you, you literally you have to be prepared to eat sleep breathe code yeah there were there were some easy weeks but i always set aside 60 hours for it just in case and that that would probably be a pretty strong recommendation of mine too and um, the other serious recommendation of mine, because I am a very, um, I'm very susceptible to it, is imposter syndrome. Hmm. Right out the gate, might as well just figure out what that is, how to combat <laughs> it, and just work on that right from the get-go. Because, like, you'll start feeling that on week one. <laughs> yeah. 
My biggest recommendation is creating side projects on the stuff that you're learning just to like work on that and keep like the knowledge that you're getting retained because you could work on something for a week. And then if you don't add it to like a project, you're going to forget about it. I like that. I like that a lot. That's I started a side project. It was a blog built in React um, on top of Node, and that helped just reinforce everything. And the project was purely yeah. based on just covering all the topics I covered in the coding bootcamp and reinforcing it. It helped me a lot. So last thing, Gage, since you brought it up, how do you get over imposter syndrome? How do you combat it? Anyone, not just Gabe, because that's a big <laughs> topic. Well... I watched, I watched this video that had Adam Savage in it. Adam Savage has a, has his own YouTube channel and um, he was doing a Q and a where they asked him about his imposter syndrome and he was pretty much like, I still have it. Like I've, I've always had it. I still have it, but it's, it's about, it's about your perspective and it's about making sure that you realize and hold yourself to the same standards that you would hold somebody else to. Cause I feel like the entire time I was feeling like, I don't get it. Like, I just have no idea what's going on. I'm not going to make it, but I never held anybody else to that. Like I never, I never saw, I never thought that one of my other students, like one of the other classmates I had, if they weren't getting it, I didn't think, Oh yeah, they're not cut out for it. They don't belong here. Why did I, why did I do that to myself then? Like, why did I hold myself to a standard that's like, I can't do it. I shouldn't be here, but I didn't hold anybody else to that. And I'm not saying that like, of course you should hold other people to that standard. I'm saying you should be your own best friend in this scenario and treat your treat yourself the way others or with the way that you would hope others would treat you. And hopefully the way that you would actually treat others, which is with a reasonable sense of like, it's okay. You just don't get it now through repetition, you will, this stuff gets cemented in through repetition. And there is some stuff that you will never really, really just nail in your head. I still, I still look up the syntax of a, of an array dot filter method. So, I mean, I probably will for a very, very long time, but that doesn't mean I don't know it. I, can I piggyback off that real quick? Cause, um, with that being said too, you know, um, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, that you're all, this is a career path that you're always going to be learning and you're never going to know 100% react there two weeks from now, you know, something new will come out and now you only know 99% of react. So just always keep in mind that you're going to have your good days. You're going to have your bad days, but the thing you did last week is going to be different than what you're doing the following week and what you're learning or whatever you're doing, working on, so just kind of keeping that in mind of you're going to have your good days, your bad days, but the good days are, are the ones that you count for. You learn from the bad days and you keep moving forward. Yeah. And, and you guys really touched on something. So, so two things, Gage, I love this idea of if I don't see other people like this, why am I treating myself like this? And it, it like holds yourself accountable. Like I got to treat myself kinder. I could be kinder to myself. Why am I so mean to myself? And, and that idea, it's like, that's not just coding. That's like, that's every profession. Everyone is so critical of themselves and it, it just, it does nothing for you. Like there, there definitely is 
research to show that holding yourself accountable, like you can be critical without the emotion. You could say, okay, um, you know, I've made this mistake before and you can kind of come up with a strategy or a plan to, uh, to reinforce the knowledge that you thought you were going to learn, but people attach so much emotion, uh, to it where it's just like self-defeating and, um, or programmers, I would actually encourage you to be more logical. If you don't know something, why don't you know something, come up with a plan for it. But I like that. It's just be kinder to yourself. And, um, if you don't treat others like that, why would you treat yourself like that? I really like that idea. And, you know, Alex has a really good point. It's, um, I mean, I, I still look up things for react all the time and pretty much all my positions I was using react, um, and like you said, you're never going to master, like people have this idea of like, you're going to master JavaScript. You're going to master this language. You're going to master code. You're not going to master it. It's, it's like a, this is one profession where you have to go in saying, I'm never going to master it. I always like, you have to be hungry to learn because there's unlimited amount of knowledge, not literally, but like, there's so much knowledge. You're not going to learn everything. And you have to go into the, this is a profession you go into with just like, I want to go into this learning. I want to go into this like with the idea that I'm probably going to experience imposter syndrome for the rest of my life if I stick with this career. It's I, And you have to get comfortable with that idea. And Gage, like you said, is perspective. You change your perspective and that changes like everything you think about imposter syndrome. You're no longer scared of it. You expect it and you kind of... Um, you just like you can actually learn to love imposter syndrome because it's it's going to be that little fire under your butt to continue learning. And sometimes you can turn it into kind of a motivation, but people fear it. People fear like what others think of them and, and what others think about their skill level and their intelligence. And um, I mean, you, you see that in a coding boot camp, too. When you go into a coding boot camp, it's just. Uh, people are so scared to ask questions because they don't want to appear dumb. They don't want to feel dumb. They don't want to sound dumb. And it's like, we're all dumb. Oh, that, like none of us are born coders. Like <laughs> That goes back to like the first grade. Come on now. <laughs> it does. Like, like I remember doing that stuff in high school. Like that's just, I think how people are though, especially when you're learning something new, you don't mm-hmm. want to ask too many questions because you don't want to appear too stupid to mm-hmm. learn it, but you're just trying to learn it and understand it. And once you understand it, then you can really learn it, remember it, implement it, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. That's what it is. Um, I want to uh, definitely be respectful of your time. We have about three minutes left. So let's go ahead and do our outros. Um, but uh, really appreciate all this. You, you Everyone gave a lot of good context around this. And I, I kind of poked at the some holes in the coding boot camp. So I, I appreciate you guys uh you know, really diving into those details with me because ultimately, um, it it is one of the higher end boot camps. It is a really good boot camp, and I think some of the top coding boot camps deserve to have holes poked. They they can't be put on a pedestal, and um, they always need to be improving. Um, so I I really love diving into these topics. But yeah, let's do outros. Gage, um, if people want to reach out to you, where could they reach you? They could find me on LinkedIn is the best way. Um, my, my projects and everything are on there. I monitor that pretty much almost all day, every day. Um, it's pretty much, it's like always up on my, on my computer to the side while I'm doing classes and stuff. I love teaching and I love ex- like explaining. It helps cement my own knowledge. So definitely if you have any, um, Mern or Pern stack questions, anything with Mongo, MySQL, 
Postgres, React, Express, Node, JavaScript. I'll help you out. It's very kind of you. Thanks, Gage. Um, how about you, Alex? Uh, well, people can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the same as Gage. I got mine up on my other monitor 99% of the day. I check it on my phone here and there if I'm out and about. So anytime I see a notification, I'll check it. So I get back pretty quick to people unless you message me at 2 in the morning, then I'm sleeping. Um, I got my <laughs> projects up there. If you want to work on something together, even if it's just a simple input, reach out to me. And if you know of anyone who needs a little junior web developer, you know, I know the Pern stack pretty well. So, um, you know, give them a shout out to for me and help me land my first job. Come on now. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> How about you, Anthony? Uh, you can just go to my portfolio, anthonyb.dev, and then it has all like my social media links and stuff like that. Okay. Oh, man. I can't believe I didn't plug my sweet domain name, which is gauge.guru. <laughs> <laughs> it's gauge.guru. Go oh. to gauge.guru and you'll find my info and my projects and my sweet blue and pink color scheme. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you got that domain name. I'm proud of you. Right? I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and you've been working on design, so I'm sure people are going to enjoy looking at it too. Uh <laughs> awesome. well um thanks everyone for uh coming if you guys like this episode um i'm gonna be posting on youtube different podcast uh platforms but uh one thing i'm like if you did anything if you like this episode one way you could help me out is share it i'm trying to grow the podcast share it with someone else um if you're on youtube leave a comment that promotes youtube's algorithm to to promote my video in recommended feeds and then on the podcast, like Apple podcasts, leave a review. That's super helpful. Apple podcasts is like the big one that you want to get reviews on to grow your podcast. So that's helpful. Uh, but yeah, that's it. We'll be new more episodes. I think next week we're actually going to be inviting a few CTOs on to talk about developer retention because a lot oh, of developers yeah. are moving on from different companies. And I want to dive into why that is, how we can improve developer teams. Um, but yeah, that's it. Thanks for watching. Really appreciate it. Gage, Alex, Anthony, thanks so much for coming on. I, it was nice meeting you all. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Yeah, thank you, you too. You too.